Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. Here we go. Morning. Welcome to a special Friday edition of the Lowdown. Seeing numbers in Kodiak continue to climb in regard to number of people testing positive and numbers of people being hospitalized and now a death in the community, we kind of surmised from what was being inferred at last week's EOC update that unless things started to take a drastic turn and cases started trending down, that the EOC was going to be forced to do something more drastic in coming weeks. And knowing that, we thought it would be important to bring in some of the members of the EOC to talk in more detail about what's going on, where they're at, what the process is for what they do and how they come up with what they're going to decide for our community and where we're headed as a community. We set this up a few days ago, I think, knowing that changes were going to be implemented yesterday and we'd have a chance to talk about them with the community and with the EOC members this morning. Uh, they graciously accepted our invitation. So this morning we have EOC Director and City Manager Mike Twangy in with Megan Christensen and Bianca Clark and also hopefully Captain Hernayaz from the uh, Coast Guard base who uh, was still on hold, but uh, a Petty Officer Blackburn, I believe, is also on the call right now. And we're waiting to see if the captain uh, co- joins the conversation. In the studio with me is my co-host this morning, Jared Griffin from the KMXD News Department. We have a lot of questions already. You probably have as well. Uh, so if you want, want to call the station, 486-3181, or shoot us an email at lowdown at kmxt.org. We'll try and get your question answered during the course of the show. That said, thank you, folks. Uh, good morning to you all. Thanks for Frank, Thanks for doing this again with us. Pleasure, Mike. Well, let's uh, just recap yesterday, uh, if you can, what the decision of the EOC was to move us into a red status and what that means for us as a community. Okay, um, this is Mike Twenge here. The uh, The Emergency Services Council is the one who sets the policy and uh, the Emergency Operations Center uh, fulfills the, the role, but... Um, you know, some people are not quite sure who the EOC is and who the ESC is, and I'll just I'll just state that um, there's a, there was an ordinance back in 1983 that uh, redefined the Emergency Services Council, and they include the, the both the uh, borough and city mayors, the borough city managers, and the, the borough and city managers. Uh, the two Coast Guard base and air station commanders, and then the Alaska State Troopers. So we have federal, state, and local governments involved. So the ESC has been meeting uh, regularly on Thursdays all summer long for the last nine months. And this past uh, couple weeks, we've seen a big rise in cases. 
Um, and uh, therefore we came together as a group, the Emergency Services Council, three times this week so far to discuss uh, where our community should be headed uh, with the uh, mitigation measures because of the rapid rise in cases. So, you know, our goal as a, as a Emergency Services Council has been uh, to really like uh, Chief Putney has said is to keep our eye on the pulse of the community. And uh, the pulse of the community is really um, in need of, of staying active and, and open. Um, like the CARES Act money that we've been using to help businesses uh, is no longer available for that. So we recognize the need to keep our economy alive. And so uh, in, in order to avoid a complete shutdown, well, we came up with the uh, pandemic plan phase five uh, which is available online in our emergency preparedness section. And we talked about 25% uh, capacity uh, to, for businesses. So what we really mean is we're open for business, uh, but we want to keep people uh, as far apart as we can. Therefore, we're going to limit capacities in, in all of our facilities and, and retail stores. Um, um. Are, are, is this, a, this seems to be a mafia. Sorry, we're getting an echo for some reason. This seems to be a model that is uh, being implemented throughout the country and through other parts of the state as well. Is, is there, are you, are you using a model that already exists to say this is our next step in the process? Well, I'm not sure if we've, um, followed any other models. This is a emergency operation plan already includes this language. And that's what we've been going by. But, you know, as the virus spreads throughout the state and the country, um, many communities are faced with the same situation. It just is coming at different uh, times for some communities. Let's look at the Yukon Kuskokwim uh, area. They put a, was that a 30 day shutdown for them? Yeah. It's we have to take measures to stop the spread and, and, you know, people moving around, becoming close contacts, whether it be at a social gathering or travel um, is bringing the virus back and forth. And we just have to slow that down. Somewhere. Are we uh, following other methods? We have an eye on what they're doing and uh, but we're really looking at our own community because you know, this spring, we, we didn't have a case, and then we had our first case. We were in green. We we were just preparing for something to happen. Um, fortunately, we were able to move about, but as times started getting colder and people started coming more indoors, you could see the, the rapid rise came about. So I guess uh, to try to answer more directly to your question is, we're using our own plan here. Now if you can put me put me inside your thought processes in the last couple of months as numbers started going up and you started meeting more um is 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 this a collaborative process between everybody that's in the room to decide where you're going and 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 what needs to be done next i mean is there um is there consensus now among all the members that this is the best thing to do for our community 
I'd say the answer is yes to that. Um, we 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 take in a lot of information. We have uh, two robust PIO officers that are fielding calls and emails um, at the Emergency Operations Center uh, every week and uh, over the weekend as well. But um, the Emergency Operations Center is, is now functioning three days a week. And some of us are in there five days a week, including PIO. Uh, the Emergency Services Council, like I've described who they are, they're receiving input from the community. So collaboratively, we're looking at the best uh, options for our community. I'm in contact with the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce on a regular basis. We're talking to our medical providers. We're talking to our uh, big industries, uh, namely our food suppliers. All that information to gather uh, to make a decision. And um, it's, it's, it's really for the best of the community, but um, you know, as far as the economy, however, we're also looking at the health side of this because um, ultimately we're trying to avoid deaths and hospitalizations. Um, the hospitalizations across the nation, in, including Alaska, are very busy. I know we've had um, people from our own hospital here having to go off island to support other hospitals. So um, the health industry is really vulnerable in that sense because of uh, a rapid rise and we're trying to avoid that as, as much as possible. Can you um, explain what uh, the language of um, phases means? Uh, you mentioned yesterday at the update and this morning um, that, we, that this is phase five. To my recollection and to a lot of our listeners, we don't remember the language of phase four, phase three, phase two, and so on. Um, is a phase just a new declaration of a different um, uh, 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 mitigation, uh, community community risk level? What, what does phase mean? Well, we've been using um, a community mitigation plan that we set up at the very beginning of the virus um, with, with different risk levels. Um, and lately we've looked at our, our pandemic plan which is part of the emergency operation plan. We have a pandemic plan that um, is very similar to the, the plan that is probably more widely known. However, this one has a, an extra phase to it and it's, it's phase five here. So um, it, phase five is uh, limited capacity, capacity to essential and non-essential business. And there's evidence and sustained human-to-human -human transmission. Well, that's quite obvious now. So, um, what it what it does is it limits capacity, and that's really where we wanted to go as an ESC um, to not have a, a full shutdown or only essential businesses. Um, we're trying this step as a as another step. Remember when we talked about the modified red? We we weren't ready to really pull the trigger on that yet. Hoping we could curtail this virus, um, reduce travel, reduce uh, transmission, um, but uh, we're taking another step. I mean, the economy is is really fragile at this time of year for uh, for 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 business with the holiday season and such. So we're trying to support them as much as possible and try to educate the public that. 
the reason we are open is, is for the businesses and the economy. However, we all have to be part of a solution here. You know, two weeks ago, you cautioned that the Kodiak public was failing to follow the recommended protocol that would lead to this community status of changing to red. And the new restrictions you're now implementing affect businesses specifically and not necessarily the social activities of individuals. How do you see these new measures affecting the behavior of those individuals who weren't heeding your warnings before? Well, I mean, if you're if you're not paying attention to this, I could understand it. But if you've been paying attention to what's going on in our community, I mean, wouldn't you rather take the, the precautionary measure and and reduce your interactions with with people outside your immediate social bubble? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 up to us. We're not going out there to patrol community. People have to be part of this solution. And because of the activities, the gatherings, we're seeing the, uh, the outbreak established in those rooms. I mean, the PIO can speak to that very clearly because they're directly involved with the number of cases and uh, how the transmissions are occurring. We've got community spread. We've got uh, travel related. Um, we have unknown. Mike, we've had those conversations very regularly, um, recognizing that the spread is most likely not primarily caused um, by people going into businesses, but by social interactions that happen in private. And we can't, we don't know how to affect those private gatherings other than messaging. And so unfortunately, by reducing the capacity of businesses, it sends a message to the community that, you know, we need to contract our social circles and our interactions. Um, but again, we had a lot of conversations because we, we don't want the business community to take the brunt of the, you know, we don't want to penalize the business community because, um, because of this spread. However, how else do we, you know, we had to take some action to indicate to the community that we need to slow down. Yeah, I fully understand that. I mean, you don't have that many tools in your toolbox to be able to to change what it is. I mean, if if the only direct governmental intervention here is on the business community, um, you're not really achieving the. I I don't know. It's it's tough to achieve the result you want, other than through direct and more forceful messaging. Um, are you, we've sort of entrusted to you folks the ability to take care of our community and make these decisions for us, but isn't there some uh, kickback or um, th this is this is not normal, normal governmental uh, procedure where the public gets input into process uh, are you are you running into any uh, any problems in that regard with people who think they ought to have a voice in what the decisions you folks make are? Well, there's a lot of opinions out there, that's for sure. And and I've spoken to that many times. We have what I call the spectrum. We have the ones who are 
in favor of closing down business and closing down our community. We have the other side of the spectrum says, keep everything open. Um, it seems like just lately, um, we fielded a lot of a lot of emails and questions and comments from the public um, about staying open and the other side is staying closed. So um, there's not a real middle ground there, it seems like lately. It's, it is, you know, keep this open um, and the other side says, close it down and do a reset. But um, like Megan just said, um, we don't want the businesses to bear the brunt of the virus spread in town. However, if we can keep the capacities smaller and limit the, the number of people in a facility or in a business, that's what this 25% reduction is, is intended to do. Um, the, the virus is out there. So the more people that are mingling are, are gonna just continue to spread the virus. Um, it's very evident in the homes um, we see a lot of homes right now that um, it gets into, into the home and several family members um, eventually get, get uh, infected and, and that's, that's pretty hard on a family. Well, we were doing so well early on with this. We had really low numbers until October and then all of a sudden everything just exploded. What, what happened? Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, Mike, you got uh, a pretty good pulse on how many the rise came. I mean, uh, I have. I think it started primarily with travel. Well, you got a pretty good pulse on how Lost many. You, Mike. Yeah, so you got a pretty good pulse on how many people come in and out of the community on the on on the plane every day. Or did the numbers go down, or did they go up like they did in the lower forty-eight for Thanksgiving travel? They've actually been pretty consistent. Um, where there's about six hundred plus people traveling um, into Kodiak a week. So the, those numbers that we get on a daily so the, those numbers that we get on, on a daily basis sort of uh, are all over the spectrum. They're close contacts, they're community transmission, they're unknown, and they're travel related. So, are the numbers that we're seeing? Do, do you do you believe that the numbers we're reporting are accurate or are they underreported? Do you want to take that? Um, well, I think that the numbers that we are reporting at the PIO are accurate and up to date as of the information that our local clinics have available and public health locally has available. Um, I don't, I don't, know. I don't think everybody is testing if they don't Correct. feel well. So I would say that the numbers probably do not accurately reflect um, the illness in the community. I think it's underreported. So it's probably fair to say that what we're seeing as numbers and the degree of spread in the community is actually a lot larger than it probably is being reported. Is that is that fair to say? I believe there are a lot of people who are not testing if they don't feel well. I would agree. Well, part of that is, is at some point in time, we're going to run into a limitation on how many tests are available. Is there is there still as much testing as we need in the community or do we need more? They're testing everybody that uh, is 
is looking for a test right now. They um, some some of the tests are being sent off island um, because of uh, well for various reasons like the asymptomatic tests are typically sent off island now, but uh, we're still doing robust testing, um, and that's what's catching it. But like uh, like we just heard. Um, Maybe, maybe people are not testing now for a certain reason. Um, you know, quite frankly, there's people that don't want to be positive so they, because they can't uh, stay home, they need to go to work. And there's a lot of quarantine issues right now that we're dealing with. Um, it, it's hard to, to stay home for 10 days or 14 days and for everybody. And, and uh, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of active cases out with, within the community, unfortunately. And uh, with with a um, just said that there are uh, some positive cases out in the community, and um, I think this is some of the a lot of the uh, core of the questions that we get from some of our listeners is. Um, about um, enforcement and supporting those that um, that have, in effect, been um, tasked to uh, um, enforce these mandates. You know, given the, you know, the the, the increased rhetoric and anti-mask and anti-shutdown, anti-hunker-down rhetoric and altercations that we hear about, um, especially on social media. You know, uh, these altercations are. Uh, increase at businesses and public places. I mean, what kinds of resources and support are available to the public and to business owners to um, de-escalate these kinds of uh, uh, confrontations um, and uh, uh, enforcement of these mandates? Is there any kind of support or resources? Or are they on their own? Uh, this is Chief Putney. Um, I'll try to answer that. Um, so, you know, a quote I saw the other day uh, from a federal judge was, there's no pandemic exception to the Constitution, right? In other words, law enforcement, we still have the same toolbox we've always had. Uh, this doesn't give us more power than it did, you know, nine months ago. So um, we are trying to, you know, do our best in this you know, quote unquote, uncharted territory, um, trying, um, you know, to support a community instead of dividing it further. Um, this has been a, you know, a, this has been a bad year for law enforcement, right? So we don't want to go out there and make our reputations worse by trying to enforce these mandates. And, and actually, I've been trying to pay attention to what happens when law enforcement is is enforcing things like mask mandates and about I'm sorry I have to, I'm sorry I have to interrupt you are you saying that you don't want to enforce the mandates because you think it would hurt the police department's reputation I'm saying it, it's not a law enforcement issue this is a public health issue and I don't think law enforcement should be enforcing these mandates and if you look at what's going on across the country 90 or percent or more of these cases are being dismissed when somebody is issued a citation or arrested for violating a quarantine mandate or a health mandate. Um, so uh, what we can do is support local businesses um, 
And, and I'm sorry, what, what, what does that mean to support local businesses from a law enforcement perspective? If a local business is following their mitigation plan, they are, you know, they're taking it seriously and they want people in their store to wear a mask. They can ask them to do that. And if the person refuses, they can call us. And it's very similar to a criminal trespass issue that we deal with every day when somebody has somebody in their store that's not following their rules or somebody who was shoplifted in the past, they can call us uh, to have that person criminally trespassed. Um, but that comes back upon the, you know, the owner or the manager of the store and, you know, how far they want to go with, with it. Um, it, 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 there is no, you know, easy answer. Um, it's, a. You know, we're still learning um, the ramifications of uh, in our criminal justice system of, of how this is all shaping out. Um, and I think it's based on everything I've seen so far in Alaska, you know, with Alaska, our, our state constitution offers a lot more freedoms than the federal constitution does. So um, it's, it's really not the Department of Law and the Department of Public Safety, it's their opinions that uh, you know, we, we try to stay away from enforcing these mandates, quote unquote, but we can come in and, and support a business that wants somebody removed from their store who's not following their policy. Well, are those, kind of, are those kind of confrontations occurring on a regular basis in Kodiak? I am not aware of a single one of them personally. Okay, so you, the police department hasn't had to respond uh, to businesses who are are calling for assistance in removing patrons who won't comply with their their mitigation plans. No. Well, um, let's wade into the. Um, I know, for sanity purposes, a lot of you probably stay away from social media, but I know you're aware that there's some sort of protest that's scheduled this afternoon um and i'm not sure whether that's still happening but is tell me a little bit about whether you're concerned about what potentially could happen in our community and how you would prepare for something like that sure well you know seems like this has been the week or i'm sorry the year for protests in kodiak so we'll you know we'll handle it the same way we've handled the last two that's you know it's uh, people's right to peacefully assemble and uh, organize a protest to state their opinions. And, you know, as long as they do so uh, in a manner that's not destroying other people's property, um, we'll, we'll let them do it. Um, if it, you know, crosses the line, we'll, we'll have to uh, go from there and, and, you know, evaluate it. And there's, you know, it's a, it's very gray situation. There's nothing black and white about anything we do. So we just kind of have to evaluate it. Hey, Mike. Yeah. This is, this is Mike again. Uh, do you know, I don't know what the purpose of the protest is. Could you explain it? Oh, you know, I, I think it's just a, uh, a general um, protest against, um, against masks, against the possibility of a shutdown, hunker down, um, uh, uh, that's, that's all, that's all I know. I think those are kind of the, 
the the signs, the pickets that they that the protesters are um, are preparing. Did you hear the latest news that yesterday was one of the highest death days we've seen in the United States? Yeah, there was an average there was an average of two deaths per minute. Two two per minute. Well, that that leads to my question to you, Mike, as a city manager and a um, the federal constitution, of course, is is totally different than um, what the state's role is in regards to um, quashing things like this. You have a an ex, you have an extensive amount of power, more than um, because this has been reserved to the states. And, and as a home rule government, don't we have the ability to actually impose more restrictions than the constitution? Uh, affords the feds during a declared emergency um, the emergency services director which is by code the city manager which is me has uh, immense powers to um, make decisions that affect our community um, the uh, the definitions and the purpose of the of the declaration um, create that opportunity. And the the governor in the state of Alaska has also granted municipalities um, power to uh, to protect their own communities, to create to create ordinances and create mandates that uh, benefit our community. So um, personally um, my goal is to protect our community the best I know how. And it doesn't always agree with everybody's opinion, but uh, collectively, this is the decision we make. Um, I am the chair of the Emergency Services Council, so I lead those meetings. And uh, at some points, the way the, uh, the Emergency Services Director position is written is, I can personally make decisions, or the city manager, or the Emergency Services Director can make decisions on his own or her own. So. Um, there is there is an extreme amount of uh, power, but it someone has to be that person, and that's the way the code, both the city and the borough code, has been written. I mean, for for the past hundred years, I mean, there hasn't been any questions when medical necessity occurs, and a local community has the ability to implement things like mask mandates and closing of businesses for medical emergency pur purposes. So. I think we see that in Haines right now with their emergency with the mudslides, all sorts of exceptions being taken. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone, someone has to have the authority to make some hard decisions and that's granted to the city manager. So all along we've been sort of, uh, uh, being kind and gentle to people and assuming that they're going to do the right thing. And we've made recommendations that people follow, um, neighborly procedures in regards to their friends, but it is within your purview to, to mandate people in town wearing masks, isn't it? Correct. Um, that authority is granted by in code, and um, when we put the mask mandate out, we actually listed those code um, <laughs> those code uh, those codes that grant that authority. You know this. The Emergency Services Council has been meeting, like I said, all summer long, and um, 
what we've really seen is good cooperation um, within the community. We're, people are just, we, we distributed the emergency operations center, distributed um, over 6,000 masks. It's probably even higher than that this summer. People were wearing masks. People started buying masks that fit their personalities. And we saw a lot of masks with people driving in vehicles. There was a great, great uh, mask um, push on that. And um, people were really compliant. And But uh, as of lately, we have to take some, some stricter measures to help control the virus. And um, that's why we're creating, you know, the mask mandate. I mean, it wasn't universal. Uh, but there was pretty good compliance, but we gave the the tool, like Chief Putney said, to the to the businesses that that really want to enforce a mandate, but uh, without the emergency operations center creating a mandate, um, they felt uncomfortable to to force that. But now we've given them the authority to to take action beyond their front door. So. Um, so we've had to step it up, Mike. And, yeah. you know, and my message is stern. Um, you know, I feel it needs to be a little more stern right now because uh, we're, in a, we're in a real pandemic. I mean, we're seeing hospitalizations that we haven't seen all summer long. And we're seeing people medevaced out of town. We've got people that um, are really, really sick, unlike, unlike earlier this summer. You know, they they talk about there's seven claves of this virus in the world um you know my own theory is and it's not substantiated by any means but i think we have a different clave here right now um that's making people more sick um, we haven't seen the kind of sickness early on in the summer people were you know experiencing um milder symptoms now it's it's uh, much much harsher symptoms. And um, we hear some of those stories from people that are in recovery and people that have um, contracted the virus. And it's really not something anybody wants. And if you don't believe this is a real virus, um, I feel sorry for you because it is a real virus. And, you know, most of us now know someone that has contracted it and, and, uh, and we hear some of those uh, symptoms that you know personally I don't want to go through if um, if I have a, a couple of questions related to that um, um, and actually these come from um, from Dylan um, do you have some what kind of advanced warning do you get in which you know Kodiak's most severe cases will no longer be accepted in Anchorage and then if Anchorage does reach capacity how many of those severe cases, such as those involving a ventilator, how many of those severe cases can be treated at, at the Kodiak hospital? Well, when we uh, meet um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the Emergency Operations Center, we have uh, a, a, a liaison from the Providence Hospital there. So we, we get uh, updates. And uh, if we're not meeting, you know, on Tuesday or Thursday, we still get updates. On the weekends, we still get updates. So we're, we're quite aware of what's going on in our hospital and, and the, the lead time, I don't think there's can be much lead time because you can't predict when someone's going to be ill or transported to the hospital. But um, 
we're all sharing information uh, throughout the 24 hour period. So um, we're, we're as ready as we can be with the newest information. As far as how many um, personnel can be uh, hospitalized here, um, we've got the emergency room and we have uh, qualified staff that can operate ventilators. Um, I don't believe we've had anyone on a ventilator, but I, I'm not certain of that. Um, but the hospital um, started uh, this weekend uh, to open up the what is considered the alternate care wing for less uh, severe cases. And uh, that's something we set up at North Star Elementary this summer, you know. Um, we were expecting a lot of um, people that needed medical attention, but not necessarily hospitalization. So um, the, the Providence Hospital has set up the alternate care facility too to capture some of those um, patients that are needing less medical care than emergency. So do we not, we don't have a, a, a firm idea or a firm number of how many severe cases that our hospital can, can manage? Well, um, I think we do. I mean, uh, you know, I'd like to let the hospital make that decision because it's part of it, uh, Jared, is the uh, is the staffing level that's available. Um, we have capacity, but if, uh, you know, you need a, phys a respiratory therapist, I believe, for some of that. And if they're, if they're here, then they can uh, manage it. If they're limited on the personnel, um, that, that'll make a difference in who can be treated here locally. So I'm not sure if the captain has jumped on the line. Um, and if he has, um, maybe he can provide us an update. But can you give us an update if he's not available or the petty officer can't uh, chime in about how things are going out at the base? Hey, this is Captain Ed Hernandez. I am online. Thank you. Morning. How are things Morning. going on at the base? Well, uh, as of today, we have a couple of our base services closed down due to a surge in uh, coronavirus cases over the last 72 hours. And um, it's uh, the cases that have surfaced this week have been within our contracted employee staff uh, within some of our base services. And due to the fact that we have an, a number of, of those cases popping up, um, we have shut down our base galley, which is the, um, our food service facility. We also have a commissary on base, which is our grocery store that is shut down for now. And we have a pizza parlor on the base which is it shut down as well so we have three three of the base services are closed down based on a surge in, in coronavirus cases and uh, as of yesterday we raised our risk mitigation posture from green to yellow uh, due to this surge and due to the fact that we have closed down some of our services what what is it what do you characterize as a surge well i mean uh any sort of spike in cases within a, you know, 24-hour, 48-hour time frame, which is basically what had happened over the 1st and 2nd of December. Uh, we had uh, uh, upwards to four, five cases that had surfaced within that time frame. And so because of that, uh, again, we had to elevate our risk posture 
to ensure that we uh, you know, just had a heightened awareness around our base and, and, uh, and throughout our facilities and to ensure that we can have the ability to, to do our contact tracing investigations for these cases effectively so that we could identify close contacts and, and cast that, that um, containment boundary to ensure that we can try to keep this particular surge in cases uh, to a limited population so we're not impacting other personnel on base. It's interesting that the, the base is at a different color level than the town is. Uh, is that, can you explain that and what the difference is for you folks from going from green to yellow and why you're not in the red? Absolutely. So, you know, on the base, our job, my job is to monitor the health of the Coast Guard community and especially within our fence line. You know, we have the base, the base proper here that's behind the fence line. And then we have two housing sites uh, just off of the base, about quarter mile, half mile away. And, uh, you know, that's that's my responsibility to manage the health and safety of the Coast Guard community. So when it comes to identifying the risk level and the threat level, uh, I, I'm focusing on our environment here within the Coast Guard base. Uh, the way that I view it is, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of our, our own little borough here, our own little entity. Um, you know, I have my, my Coast Guard town here, my Coast Guard city, and so I try to manage the you know the threat level and again overall monitoring of health health and safety just around the coast guard community so you know as the as the city went into uh their yellow posture and then you know now into a red posture you know that's that's in town that's in the city and you know and that's exactly what's happening for them school system you know the school system decides they want to go into red um, you know, while the city's not in red, then again, that's a whole nother entity, a whole nother population community that the that the school district is monitoring. And so it's kind of the same thing for the Coast Guard base is, you know, based on the health of our Coast Guard community, you know, I can determine whether or not we can stay in green or shift or transition into yellow or red. Um, again, I, focusing on the cases that are surfacing within the Coast Guard community. Thank you. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, that that leads to another question, Mike. That maybe you can answer. This is uh, we have all these little uh, independent communities in town, and this affects everybody in the borough. But how are our village communities doing? Well, I know some of them. Um, Port Lines, for instance, uh, has created a an ordinance. Um, in, within their community mitigation ordinances. Um, we're actually having a round table with the villages this afternoon, um, set up by Pony uh, Egg is, is leading that uh, round table. Uh, we've had a couple of those this summer so far. Um, so it's a chance for us to share information within the rural communities. Okay. So we'll get an update. We'll get an update from them today. 
have some listener questions. Uh, yeah, go for it. I have I have a couple, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, one comment from a listener. This is a global pandemic. How do we educate rather than mandate to try and get everybody on the same page, which is seemingly what you've been doing for the last eight months. But are we still there with uh, education takes uh, – is the preferred method of communication rather than doing it through mandates? Yes, I think that's been our uh, our message all along is we're trying to give out accurate information. I mean, the, the public information office here at the EOC fields a, a ton of calls. And, you know, we talk about this, the mandates that have been drafted by the governor and, uh, you know, pro providing clarity on that. Um, and then, of course, the, the messaging from the uh, health side of the so, side of the coin is um, what we need to do to prevent the spread of the virus. And so, you know, we're trying to be uh, educational, but then uh, we also have to be authoritarian in some sense to to help control it because, you know, people people make their own minds up. I mean, you could tell them to stay home and they say, I'm not staying home. Um, so that's why the mandates have to fall into play because we're doing it for the, the better of the whole community, not just individuals within the community. Um, uh, uh, thanks for that. Um, one, um, one question. Uh, let's see. So, um, Anchorage just um, are considering um, awarding $14.5 million in a relief package to kind of alleviate the effects of their hunker down um, uh, mandates. Uh, Mike, I think you mentioned that there really isn't any more local CARES Act money, other stimulus money for to help residents and to help um, small business owners over the next month or two or even even more state um if if we do have to go to an extreme level three um hunker down there uh, uh i just want to make sure there is no reserve cares act money to to help kind of bridge that gap for our business owners locally no that checkbook is about empty um we're still we still have a few funds but nothing like we had earlier in the year and anything from, um, have you heard, is there anything so, even available from the state? So federally, um, I haven't heard locally from the state, but federally there's a, uh, an assistance package come, you know, being discussed right now, something like $980 billion uh, that would be able to trickle down to states and local governments. I, I'm optimistic and I hope that occurs. We've, we've been in touch with our um, our congressional delegation, uh, Senator Murkowski's office this week. I think we met on Monday um, and shared those concerns. I know she's leading the charge on, uh, she's one of the persons uh, in favor of this additional uh, relief package. Uh, I hope that comes to be because as we've been saying for months um, to our delegation is including, uh, including Senator Sullivan, uh, Congressman Young is that um, this this pandemic is not going to be over by December 30th, and that's the deadline for the CARES Act money to be spent. 
um, we need some relief beyond that. And we can't carry that burden locally. Um, we just cannot. Um, and so that's why we've been discussing for several weeks that um, look community, we have to come together to help slow the spread of this virus because um, there won't be a relief package between now and the end of December. Um, we've put several million dollars into this community. The city has through the, through the CARES Act and so has the borough. Um, we've shared with our community to help uh, soften the, 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 the loss of business through hunker downs or just people staying home. So we've been, we've been messaging that quite heavily um, and trying to uh, trying to avoid the, the big rapid spread of the virus. But um, you know, going into Christmas holidays, this is a bad time to have the number of cases. Fortunately, we're going to announce uh, some lower numbers today, which I'm glad to glad to report. But uh, we're still not at, we're still not back to zero yet, and that's what it's going to take. I mean, if you know, if people will stay home, if they'll stop traveling, um, if they'll stop going to uh, gatherings outside of their real immediate social bubble, that could help control this. And, you know, being on an island, I, um, you know, I once said I, I thought being on an island was going to protect us, but, you know, it's, it's travel that brought it here and now it's community spread that's keeping it alive. The virus wants to spread. I got a quick question for you, Chief. Um, if if you're in a situation where there's a, a group gathering and people are not exhibiting the type of type of behavior that's recommended, I mean, what wh what is the police response to that kind of situation? I mean, when you when you're forced into that, when you see 25 people on a beach, or you know, there's people downtown uh, not within a distance and not using a mask. I mean. What's what's your advice to your officers to how to how to deal with that situation? So, um, so without any further context, these are just people going about their business, not other than not following a, a mask um, recommendation, or you know, closer than six feet together, or a large gathering. Just just other than, I mean, that's. Is that the context then? Well, it's just there's a party on a beach, you know. There's people. Or the protest today. The protest today, you know. I mean, how do you deal with that? Um, you know, my opinions are that uh, a, a protest is, uh, you know, that's a constitutional. That falls under the First Amendment, right? To peacefully assemble, and um, we're not going to interfere with a. Peaceful protest. <laughs> um, uh, uh, even if they're not masked. If they're on public property, even if they're not masked. What are the? Um, uh, we've kind of kind of been touching on uh, 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 what what it might take to, or what would happen, what it would take if we were in a uh, risk level um, risk level three risk level um extreme um some uh, we've got a couple of questions in from listeners what are those benchmarks are they infections hospitalizations death that would elevate 
our status to black and um is that will that information be available to the public what are those benchmarks that will one move us into black what are the benchmarks we're looking for that would similarly move us down to yellow well, we have dis i'll take this on jared we've defined that in the mitigation plan the community mitigation plan you know and uh it, it's all about our levels of community spread we figured that would be the, the big benchmark having a number in place um didn't really fit the fit the uh, criteria at the time because like uh, captain hernia said um, we all have these little pockets. I mean, when uh, when Al attack uh, cannery was was seeing a lot of positives uh, over a period of short period of days, um, that could have, if it were a number in the borough, that would have triggered a, a change in our status. However, it was isolated, so we're, we decided that isolated, controlled, contained cases are what they are, and so really our our community conditions are when we have um, community spread and we have medium to high levels. I'll start at the bottom, which is green, where we were for so many months. We had no zero to low levels of community spread. Then in yellow, we go to low to medium levels of community spread. In red, we go to medium to high levels of community spread where the hospital reaches uh, care capacity. And then the recommendations from public health, we're in contact with public health every single day. Um, and then the, to the extreme level, it's uncontrolled community spreads and then a surge in hospitalizations and deaths. So those are the criteria. It's not exactly a, a finite number. Um, we, look at, uh, we look at how the virus is spreading within our community and if that's uh, isolated and, or not. And right now it's the, the unknown spreads that are concerning in us. Um, we're pretty figured. We've, figure that those are likely uh, community spread, but um, some people uh, have the virus and they don't travel at all. They stay home and they just have minimal contact with the community and, and they're seeing a, and they're, they become positive. So um, the community spread part is the scary part. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have a specific question, and I'm not sure that you, you might have the medical information for this. Do we have a 24-7 respiratory therapist available on the island? Uh, currently, I'm not sure. Okay. In the past, we have, for sure. Like I said, uh, the medical community is, is moving around the state to um, – to wherever the hotspots are. And, and I know for a fact that we've had doctors here that have had to leave the community to go um, assist another hospital in the state. And uh, it might be going both ways, reciprocal, but um, the healthcare is, is uh, working extremely hard. And we need to be a little bit sympathetic to that. I mean, we think of how many hospitalizations we have for COVID-19 or the coronavirus, but wait a minute, they've got other medical needs going on every single day. There's, there's, you know, there's heart attacks, there's slips and falls, there's broken bones. And, um, you know, that's, that's maybe their day job now, I guess, but that used to be the primary job. But with the pandemic, we have to take on extra uh, precautionary measures to avoid the, the staff getting sick. Look at our EMS service. Um, right now, we 
if we get a call for our emergency medical service that our ambulance that makes a run, the dispatch will state a COVID patient or unknown COVID. And so we have to prepare for the worst. And we, that means suiting up into a real strong protective gear that we've purchased for them. And, uh, you know, they're at risk every single day with contact because contact with the patient is, is what's necessary for their life. And, and contact is what spreads the virus. So it's very uh, unnerving for the, for them. And I, I have sympathy towards our EMS that are running um, serious calls on a daily basis now. And we're starting to see infection within our medical community as well. So mm -hmm. at one point in time, do we start getting concerned that we're not going to have the personnel here available to treat everybody that's coming in the door that needs services? Well, that's why, you know, my message might sound a little stern or harsh right now is because we're worried about that. I mean, um, we had a rapid rise um, over the Thanksgiving holiday at the hospital and, and our ambulance was running uh, running all day, you might say, um, all weekend. And uh, at what point are we going to see a downturn in this? We're going into the Christmas holidays soon. And we, we all know, I mean, you heard Dr. Fauci saying, you know, stay home, avoid gatherings, um, make it just your immediate family. Last night I heard Dr. Fauci say, don't travel. Um, we've been messaging that along because we're noticing a percentage of uh, we're noticing the percentage of our cases are travel related, and so it's pretty much a given that um, there's going to be somebody on on a flight that's sick. I'm not sure why they're traveling other than for medical reasons, but um, people like uh, Chief Putney said, uh, people uh, have the right to make up their own minds, I guess. Well, sometimes you don't change your mind until you, it comes close to home. And it come, it's, it's starting to come close to home to a lot of people. So a question that we continue to get, people need some guidance about degrees of separation that they need to maintain from positive contacts. You know, um, and particularly, I'd, I'd like to hear uh, both you and, and the captain uh, talk about the uh, the messaging that you're giving to people in regard to contact tracing you know um, if if somebody is a positive contact um, how is your bubble expanded you know if if you have contact with someone who had contact with someone you know how far how, how limited do you try and make the bubble to try and keep safe? Can I let Bianca answer that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think the, yeah, thanks a bunch. <laughs> I think the, the message, the message generally speaking is that you, you should be limiting your bubble to pretty much as, as small as you can make it. Um, you know, a lot of times Mike said yesterday in his live update, when you leave your household, you're at a different level of risk. Um, what that might be, you may or may not know. So limiting your bubble, uh, really as small as you can make it is the best possible advice that we can give. Um, maintaining that social distance, um, even with the bubble that you have. Um, I guess and then regarding... Yeah, I guess I'm asking you, you know, 
you were someplace or somebody you know was someplace and somebody at that place had the virus, you know. Sure. So now with contact tracing being what it is now, uh, mm-hmm. if you're in close contact, you know, okay, I'm one of those people that need to quarantine 7 to 14 days. But um, what if somebody else was in contact with that person? You know, how far do we take it to be safe? Right. So right now, um, what you just said, the seven to 14 days, that does apply to anybody who is identified as a confirmed close contact. So they had 15 cumulative minutes uh, within six feet of that individual masked or without masks um, over a 24-hour period, anytime 48 hours uh, before that person either tested positive or they had symptoms. Now, that close contact also has a ring of close contacts, right? So um, maybe I'll use my own family. Let's say somebody in my family is a close contact. I am a secondary to that um, because I am in contact with that family member. I do not have any restrictions, but I should be careful to um, try to keep my distance from the person that I know is a close contact. Be cautious about what I'm doing. That, that individual should be making sure they're in quarantine for the appropriate period. I should be trying to make sure that I'm keeping my social distance everybody's washing hands um, and just doing doing their best to try to keep following the same pieces of information we're sending out as educational you know items to try to ensure safety and and mitigate risk now captain on the base when you're when you're facing these um, the surges of numbers there uh, how how are you dealing with the contacts and isolation and the quarantines for other members who came in contact with the people who tested positive? Well, just like Bianca said, uh, through our contact tracing investigations, we identify, you know, we we will go back 48 hours from the time that a member that has just tested positive, uh, from the time that that member started presenting symptoms, if in fact they were symptomatic, we'll go 48 hours back from that period of time and then and then that's the investigation timeline is to see within that timeline how many people were you in close contact with and of course of course per the cdc guidance close contact is defined as within six feet of another person for a cumulative total of 15 minutes over a 24-hour period and then uh, you identify those close contacts, and then all of those close contacts are then contacted by the contact tracing investigator to and notified that they have they are identified as a close contact of a particular case, and that they are directed into quarantine. And it's really you know, and that's how we cast that that initial containment boundary is to capture all of the close contact. Uh, personnel members, people, and then and then make sure that those members are staying in a quarantine status for 14 days to ensure that we're not getting uh, any additional cases outside of that particular containment boundary, right? And as we do, and, and that does happen, right? So so all those close contacts will then get investigated and identify other people that may be in the same household or or you know, people in their workplace that are identified as contacts of a close contact, you know, and so those people may end up getting infected, and then that then, you know, expands the the um, 
the containment boundary to the the close contacts of that person, right? So it's this it's a cumulative process where we try to make sure that we identify close contacts, contain them there, and as we as close contacts get infected, then then the close contacts ring boundary, if you will, gets a little bit bigger, and we just keep on expanding it as much as we need to, and ensure that people that are identified as close contacts remain in a quarantine status. Eventually, you'll get to a point where you've cast enough of a, a large enough boundary where now the people that are getting sick from that initial case are only the people that are in within that boundary. And then, okay, so that's acceptable because those people should be in quarantine and they should not have any close contacts since they've been in quarantine. So then eventually, over time, you'll start to see those numbers go down because those people eventually get cleared of their, their virus status and they get medically cleared and, and they're medically cleared to, to uh, you know, continue their lives. And as long as, as long as all those cases are within that containment boundary, then you know that it's not continuing to spread within your community. And so that's the important piece of it is that people that are identified as close contacts, they need to quarantine and they need to be very good about that because it's safeguard it's a safeguard for the rest of the population to ensure that they're not continuing to spread the virus. And as we all know, not everybody is symptomatic. There are a large number of asymptomatic patients and if they're not careful, even if they're in quarantine and they're feeling fine, if they're not if they're not capable careful, then an asymptomatic person that's identified as a close contact can continue to spread the virus outward. And it makes it much more difficult to develop some sort of a containment boundary around around that because people aren't being mindful of the fact that they should be in quarantine. I have two follow-ups to that. One is, do, what's the load on your current personnel? Do you have the capacity to continue doing what you're doing to deal with surging numbers? And two, is it are you concerned that this is going to affect your ability to carry out your mission? And uh, affect what the Coast Guard is capable of doing if you keep losing uh, the Coast Guard oh yeah so on the Coast Guard side right now within our Coast Guard community uh, we only have one positive COVID case and that again that's that's within our Coast Guard community so that's our active duty military our reserve military uh, and our federal civilian workforce and our dependents or the family members of, of all those members. And that's what, that's, that's what I define as our Coast Guard community. This surge in cases that has happened on base over the last 72 hours has been within our uh, contracted employee staff. So as, as you all know, we have a, a couple of pretty large contracts uh, on base where we have, um, you, know, you know, the some, some uh, locals within Kodiak work on base in different different capacities so you know we have the maintenance contract here we have our galley contract we have people working in our pizza parlor people working in our in our commissary and um those aren't technically within the definition of the coach car community because they're not military members they're not family members of military members and they're not employed by the federal government Hmm. um directly 
And so, again, the surge, the surge in cases we've had here recently have been within our contracted employee staff. So, you know, I, I personally can't control what these people do once they leave work um, because, they're again, they're not Coast Guard employees and not federal employees. Right. And so, again, we're just doing our best to contain the boundary around these these uh, these cases over the past couple of week, uh, past couple of days to ensure that it is not in, in fact impacting the Coast Guard community. Now, if we did have a lot of cases within the Coast Guard community, which we did throughout the month of October, as, as you know, everyone is well aware of, we had our own spike um, within our Coast Guard community. And at that point in time, you know, we had within the, we were in the double digits of Coast Guard personnel and dependents having the virus. And yes, that does in fact impact our ability to do our jobs. But with that said, <laughs> we were able to corral that issue and really minimize the impact within our own community and minimize the impact to the to the you know the greater Kodiak public as well. To the point where it didn't get, uh, we didn't diminish our workforce where it really did have a negative impact on our ability to operate. So. Uh, yes, it, it could get to a point where we could find ourselves in a situation where we have so many Coast Guard members impacted or infected uh, that could degrade our our mission capabilities. But we, we haven't seen that yet, and we're postured to make sure that we, we don't see that in the future. I have a follow-up question, question from a listener for you. Would it make more sense to keep the commissary open so there are fewer people potentially with COVID uh, keeping people there, are fewer people going into town from your community to our local stores? Sure. Uh, so go- going into town, you know, especially as, as the city is in red, um, definitely is a concern of ours, but we have a, we have a rule of thumb here that we, that we uh, emphasize to our ent- entire Coast Guard community and that rule of thumb is don't become a close contact. Um, and, and everybody seems to be operating under that rule and, and under that mindset. And really that mindset um, allows all of our members and all of our clients to operate in a very conservative way when they're out in town. So again, our rule of thumb, don't become a close contact. So don't be within six feet of another person for more than 15 minutes over a 24 hour period. Keep your social bubble small and what we're emphasizing there is no more than six people. Uh, everyone else beyond that social bubble, you should make sure you're not a close contact to. Uh, wear your mask as a default. Wash and sanitize your hands frequently. Avoid high-risk behaviors. And then, obviously, within the workplace, increase teleworking, staggered schedules, and work sanitation breaks. So that is our rule of thumb. So um, as people venture out into the city to go to do their shopping and uh, you know manage other essential needs, as long as they're adhering to that rule of thumb, there's really not a whole lot of concern there from my perspective and from the Coast Guard's perspective in general. Uh, now, uh, with regards to our commissary being closed now, the reason why we shut, we have an immediate shutdown when we have a, a coronavirus case that impacts one of our operations is because we, we have to do a deep clean of the facility. And, you know, the school system does the same thing here on Kodiak. If there's a, you know, if there's a, a case within a classroom, they shut the whole school down. 
they do a deep clean, and then they look to reopen in the near future after the deep clean, deep clean is, is complete and once all the infected and close contacts are identified and told to stay away from school. So we do the exact same thing here. So for our galley, our pizza parlor, our commissary, shutting it down for a couple of days to do a deep clean. And now in over the last, you know, over 24 hours, we've been working to make sure that we can try to bring those, those operations back online here very quickly to minimize the impact of, of our Coast Guard community and folks that shop, shop at our commissary and eat at our galley, eat at our pizza parlor. So we are at a point now where, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be meeting with the commissary management here later this morning, but we are at a point now where we look like we're, it looks like we're going to be able to open the commissary up again very soon. And uh, even though they are short-staffed with some people being out as close contact, uh, that's what they're managing now, and we're looking to open that up soon. So, we, again, so we just minimize the impact of folks that depend on the commissary. And then, again, that should minimize the need for people to have to go into town for essential items. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry to come back to this, but we've had a couple of uh, listeners come in with some questions. So the uh, this has again to do with enforcement of the mask mandate, the mandates that came in before Thanksgiving um, say that all individuals must wear masks or face coverings over the noses and mouths when they are outdoors when six feet of physical distancing from non-household members cannot be maintained. And so we've had some questions if the police chief can clarify if the police department is choosing not to enforce that mandate. And then the second question then is what is the point of the mandates if we if there is no um, reliance on uh, uh, on enforcement, if there's no enforcement? So, Chief, can you sure. uh, can you clarify your statement, please? Yeah, I, I can. So, I would classify the mask mandate as a civil issue. It's a civil order. Um, it's it is very much a um, voluntary compliance, right? That's that's what we're going for. If the city or the borough, you know, the respective bodies were to take this a step further and put something into ordinance uh, to make it uh, an infraction or a violation, um, it could become enforceable. Um, now, whether or not that's the right thing to do or not, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, and I, I don't think so personally. Um, unless, unless things continue to progressively get worse in our community, um, where we were to be looking at like the extreme um, phase of the mitigation plan. So, at this point, um, it's. It's civil. Uh, we're asking people to comply with it. Um, it's not quote unquote in, uh, enforceable by the police. Uh, what the police can do is on private property. Um, people have the right to enforce this if it's in a private uh, business. Um, and and you know businesses have the right to refuse services. Businesses have the right to have their own policies. And if people don't follow those policies, it becomes a criminal trespass issue for us. And that's something we deal with all the time um, and that we're very familiar with. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, So then um, if so, there might be, I guess, some confusion over just the term mandate. You know, if there's a if there's a mandate, but no enforcement, then what is the point of a mandate? And um, do mandates uh, you might have some more information on this. Do mandates even work? I think so. Um, based on my own observations, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I've been out on Black Friday. Um, I, I didn't see a single person without a mask on. Um, 
But it's hard to even, tell if that's a if that's because of the mandate or that's just because right. you know, res- people right. are just being responsible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think we're getting a lot of people that want to do the right thing, right? They want to comply with this. They want to stay healthy. They want to keep their neighbors healthy. Um, they don't want to overload our local hospital. Um, so I think we're getting a lot of voluntary compliance uh, with or without the mandate. I think the mandate does help um, because it does uh, emphasize, you know, that, you know, local government is taking this seriously. Um, it does give businesses tools to use. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's hurt, um, but I, I have seen a lot of compliance. And like I said earlier, the, the police department hasn't had to respond yet to a business um, to deal with somebody who's making a scene because they don't want to wear a mask. And does the uh, does the Coast Guard base have a mask mandate for the base and for Coast Guard members who come into town? Yes, we. so in our green risk posture, we, we have a mask mandate. So in all of our facilities uh, on base, uh, it doesn't go to outdoors uh, unless we're unless we find ourselves in in the red risk posture here on base. But uh, again, in our in our green risk posture, we are we are masked anywhere we go uh, indoors as far as going into any of our buildings. Mike, I want to follow up with you on the questions I was asking the captain about capacity. With numbers increasing, um, do we as a community have the capacity to deal with increasing numbers? Right now we do. Um, Right now we seem to be able to keep up. uh, like I said, we've got some good news today. The numbers went down a little bit. Um, hopefully the, the, com- the community will heed the warnings that we've been speaking to and just reduce this. Um, at some point, uh, it's got to turn around and we're hoping it'll do it sooner than later. Um, but right now we have the capacity. We have uh, the, the EMS crew. We've got uh, the hospital crew right now. We seem to be able to manage it, but I know everybody's working very hard. Uh, at some point, um, if at some point uh, it it gets out of control where we can't manage it, I, I can't even envision what that'll look like right now. Well, you already you already talked a little bit. You, you mentioned that the the ambulances were running all, continually a week ago, um, and. <coughs> If the national trend hits us and the results of Thanksgiving don't happen for another week, I mean, aren't we anticipating maybe that in a week from now it's going to be worse than it is now? You could predict that. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't get to that. We've got one heck of a dedicated EMS crew. Um, We've got uh, three EMS on duty, and we've got uh, those that we can call back in to fulfill back shifts. We've got three ambulances. Um, we've, got, we've got good resources there. Like I said, we've got one heck of a dedicated EMS crew. Our, our, police, our fire chief, our deputy chief, our EMS staff, all well-trained. And uh, we, could see the, we could see how hard they're working just on their faces when we see them in the morning after a busy night. Um, but right now they're, they're doing what they love to do take care of the public and uh 
I don't see that uh, slowing down at all. Well, if the cases, if we start seeing, you know, extreme numbers, um, we'll deal with that when we get there. But uh, we've got the resources, what we have on the island. They are limited, but everybody's uh, pitching in with both hands. Well, I mean, we're already hearing numbers from the medical community that the medical community is starting to get overloaded with cases and also overloaded because they're losing personnel due to the due to the virus you know being either sick or are isolated that that's more of my question are, are we fearful that at some point in time that EMS crew you're going to start losing members and um, other people that are part of the response team we we, we start dropping people off that that's all um potential um like i said we we fully suit our ems crew fully suits up we've got helmets uh with with uh, ventilation on them we've got you know full suits that they wear they're all well protected but um you know that doesn't mean it's 100 percent effective and that's why we're trying to get the community to understand this and and protect our health care providers um we do know that the hospital was in red the other day, um, but they haven't expressed any conditions that they can't handle more capacity. So when that day comes, um, I'm sure they will try to find additional resources to protect our community. But um, I, I think the bottom line is, is let's not go there. Let's just not go there, folks. Um, why would we want to risk that? Uh, that we can't take care of, you know, grandmother and grandfather. Why would we risk that a loved one? Why would we say, well, we can't respond anymore because we didn't pay attention? Why would we let ourselves get to that point? Well, now with community transmission, are you concerned about the capacity for contact tracing? You know, this... I well... Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's been a shift from the public health, um, Department of Health and Social Services, just probably a couple weeks ago or so, um, where they cannot keep up with the contact tracing right now. So, I mean, to contact trace one person takes hours. And then when you have 35 cases and 36 cases and 35 cases and 23 cases, um, just look at the numbers and try to figure out how many hours that would take to, to manage for one or two people. So the new direction, the guidelines right now are, as soon as you know you're a positive, you're supposed to contact um, your considered close contacts. So in other words, if you become positive, you get the results for that, call your friends that you've been with and say, hey, I'm positive and we we're playing pool last night and I think you better stay home for now and, and call your healthcare provider or just take precautions and, and, and heed those warnings because it takes uh, a few days to become sick. And before you're symptomatic, you're actually able to shed the virus. So that's the scary part about it is um, people, you know, may appear healthy, but they're actually not and they're sharing the virus. Um, we have a little story around here that if, if everybody turned purple when they were, had the virus, we'd know exactly where it was. That'd be great, <laughs> but that puts us in a in an interesting you know dilemma because you you're you're 
we we can't really test out of this thing. I mean, if you're in close contact with somebody, you pretty much have to wait the seven to ten days to see whether or not you become symptomatic to take a test to see whether or not you actually have it. So you have to kind of go on an assumption that you do have it if you're in close contact with somebody who tested positive, right? So I would, I would take, I would, I would, I would agree with that right now. At the way we're seeing the spread of the virus and the contagiousness of it, um, the actual damage that it's doing right now, I would, I would agree with that. So how do we keep going as a community, though, if everybody is, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a tendency for people to think, boy, I was, in, I was in the store and there was somebody in the store that had the virus and now I should stay home for seven days. I mean, how, you, how you, far do you what take What you need it? to do, what you should be listening to is, is uh, limit your exposure time. Go to the store, get your goods, go out, don't stand in the aisles and socialize. Get in, get out, stay home. Uh, don't uh, don't go to large gatherings. Restrict that down to your family. Keep your family at home right now. I mean, these are all recommendations, and and they're proven um, they're proven guidelines actually. But um, we just have to change our behavior. I mean, it's it's how many pandemics have any of us seen in our life? Um, how many people have died in this world? And for us to not recognize that is hard for me to understand, but we need to just limit our interaction with people. That's what the, that's what the new um, restrictions were all about yesterday is to limit our, our capacities that therefore, therefore would limit our, our number of contacts with people and just get the public to understand that this virus is out there and it's spreading rapidly what we're sad to announce is that when it gets into the home, it's very difficult to keep it out of the home. It, it seems to go around to everyone in the building. And so as far as the city goes, the city employees, um, we're wearing masks in our office. If anybody comes in the office, we both have to have a mask on. Um, we wear masks in the building. Um, we, uh, we work remotely when we can. Some of us, not uh, not all of us, but some of us, um, and and you just have to uh, just have to take these unusual precautions. And for those that don't believe it's necessary, I I can only say I hope you don't get sick, and I hope you don't share it with your grandmother or your mother or father. And and uh, let's go on and have a holiday. Let's have a, a Christmas holiday and. And I made a comment yesterday, and you know I like to make statements like this, but um, let's not spend the 12 days of Christmas in the hospital. So, in addition to that, I'd like to add that um, while we are reducing our social interactions, I think it's important to take care of our well-being in the sense of find um, activities that we can enjoy that may not be a social, um, go out for a walk and get some fresh air every day, um, focus on some hobbies that maybe got set aside that you enjoy, uh, read more books, watch more movies, do artwork, um, other avenues that will keep our well-being intact um, while we diminish our social um, interactions. Very good. Yes, read more books, I agree. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> um, the, the specifics for businesses are are down to twenty five percent capacity. There are some city facilities that you just decided to close, right? No, we haven't closed any facilities. Oh, I, I thought I heard that something about the library yesterday. Is the library still on reduced hours with the same capacity as they had? Correct. Yeah, they're they're at reduced hours. Um, they do a clean after every uh, opening. They open several times during the day. They're just at a limited capacity as well, but they're they're pretty much there. But no, we have not closed any facilities. The swimming pool is still open. The ice rink is still open. The gymnasium, I think, has been uh, maybe taking a pause right now because people just don't want to get out and interact right now. That's what I've heard from our Parks and Rec director. But I, I'm not sure if they're having any any activities there or not. I know basketball uh, kind of fizzled out for right now, but um, we haven't closed any any businesses or any facilities at this point. Um, but we are asking all of our businesses and facilities to to operate on their highest level of of mitigation plan, and and that is by reducing the number of people in the building and and keeping wiping down uh, with disinfectant and and taking all those mitigation measures that they've submitted to their EOC and to follow those again. Well, I know there's a tendency on the part of a lot of us to want to go out and do what we want to do, stay six feet away, put a mask on, get your business done and walk out the door. But uh, how do we deal with that on the, with the other side of this, you know, 15 minutes of the CDC guideline then expanded out to the, the 24 hours within uh, and and th that's a bit troubling isn't it when you're you're talking about bars and restaurants um and you know are we not putting ourselves at risk to go into a building and be in there in a confined space with other people for um, an extended period of time i mean i and i i, I think of the same thing of this building and of the city building uh, how do we deal with that when you're you you have a, a facility that a lot of people occupy right now i think the risk has increased um the answer is yes you are at risk um and how much is really really dependent on how you how you interact with people i mean uh it is typical now to stand back from somebody um you know, try to keep a good separation from someone, even with a mask on. Um, it's funny, I when we talk about how we keep our mental well-being, you know, I watch a movie on television and I see people leaning over each other and I get a little nervous. I go, <laughs> you're not supposed to be that close. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, just, you know, we just have to be mindful of how the virus spreads. The virus spreads by close contact. It wants to infect someone else. I talk about it like it's a it has a mind of its own, but it, it's a pretty pretty smart virus, and it's infecting more than one person now. Um, so, if it sheds from one person to another, it's actually going to a, a third person. So, um, we have to understand how how vigilant this virus really is. In respect to the bars and restaurants, um, I think there are some local businesses that have done a really good job of asking their customers to um, 
you know, keep a couple of bar stools in between groups or sit at every other table. Um, I, I think it is you know, for, for people who find it important to go out to dinner or go have a um, drink at a bar that, you know, I think it's possible to be cautious um, as long as we're mindful of those things, such as not sitting close to one another. Um, you know, I think it can be done. We just have to be mindful, like I said. Well, for city facilities, for the police department, for instance, if if uh, you, you're all in the building and you're all masked during the course of the day, but God forbid some some one of the officers comes down with the virus, I mean, how do you then, you know, what do you do with the rest of the staff? If the person has been in the building for 12 hours and maybe six feet away from everybody else, but are they all then considered to be close contacts with everybody else so that everybody has to be quarantined? So, you know, we are, we're doing the best we can in our building to keep the division separate, to keep, you know, corrections working and corrections, dispatching corrections uh, are, you know, in dispatch detectives and detectives patrol and patrol to keep that distance between everybody to limit the people that are using the break room at a single time to wear masks. Uh, most of our rooms have, uh, you know, an extra air filtration system inside of it. Uh, in addition to our HVAC system, that's supposedly filtering all the air. Um, and then the officers, um, you know, we're wearing masks in common areas and in hallways. They, we're not sharing vehicles anymore uh, to try to cut down on cross-contamination. Uh, every time we transport somebody in a vehicle, uh, we have a, a decontamination system, the same one that the fire department uses for the ambulances to try to, you know, if, if there was any, um, you know, if the virus did get into the vehicle from the last person we transported, it's going to kill it. Um, so we're, we're doing the best we can with what we have. Uh, it is definitely a concern. Um, it wouldn't take, um, you know, if a couple officers were to get sick and their close contacts are their coworkers. Um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely on my mind every day because that's going to limit our, uh, services and, um, for, you know, even for a short time. So, yeah, I mean, I remember we talked about this back in March or April, I believe of what the, the challenges ahead were for policing in this environment have, have things progress. Are, are you doing okay? Or have things changed at all since then? Uh, yeah, I think definitely things have changed since then. Um, back then it was, um, there's a lot of concern about the unknown. Um, and now that it's here, um, it is a little different. Um, like, uh, Mike said earlier, we all know somebody that's had it now. Um, the impact it could have on the police department for just, you know, if everybody were to get sick at the same time, um, you know, it could be devastating on our operations. So it's more, it is real. We've had to institute some pretty, um, you know, drastic measures for, for masks. Um, and not just the, the cloth mask I'm wearing now, but in, uh, if an officer responds to a call now, they need to switch out to a N95, which, you know, protects them a lot more than this does uh, because we're, we are coming across a lot of people now uh, who are positive. Right. I think Jared has a question. No. No. Other than um, thank you for all the work that you've done. I know that uh, um, as uh, uh, Mike said that um, 
you're dealing with this, you're meeting every other day and dealing with it every other day. How, how are members of the council, how are you taking care of yourself? Well, we each have our own way, to be honest with you, but um, we try to keep our spirits up here. Um, like I said, we've been here for about nine months. Uh, we, we were earlier this summer, we met every single uh, weekday for sure. And now, now some of us are still meeting every day, but uh, we have certain sections in our EOC that are three days a week. Um, we try to keep our spirits up, but you know, when we hear about people that we know that are sick or infected, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, um, it affects us all, I'm sure a little bit. And, you know, um, I personally knew somebody that was hospitalized and um, that was really a difficult day. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trudging on. I think our goal is all the same here at the Emergency Operations Center. We're doing this for our community. And we talked about how important it is to, to stay with it. Um, it's been challenging. I mean, we've got a very dedicated, and I'm so proud of our group at the EOC. Um, typically have anywhere from 11 to 14 people uh, every meeting. Um, coming back day after day after day, uh, week after week. I mean, um, hard, hard workers and dedicated and uh, I think the community understands that, and we're not trying to impose any uh, restrictions that are punitive on our community. We're trying to uh, safeguard our community, our health of our community, and we want to get through this. Um, I know the virus is coming, but it's not going to be here, um, you know, in full force by uh, by Christmas. I'll, I'll at least say that um, there may be some uh, people that can uh, take the shot before during December, but um, for the widespread, it's going to be later on in the new year. And uh, until then, we have to really uh, stay on top of it. And, and you know, message to our community, the, the community updates on Thursday are meant to inform our community um, of what's going on. We do the press releases daily, but maybe not everybody sees those. And I really appreciate the, the media, the radio, the newspaper for getting the message out and, and informing the public. And you guys have done a wonderful job all summer long, bringing in all sectors to uh, keep our community informed. And, you know, we kind of realized that by now, everybody should understand what we need to be doing, but um, it's it's still spreading. And maybe, maybe you cannot control the spread of this virus like we would like to think, but, um, you know, I think if we would just uh, stay apart, um, we, we can do a, a real hurt on this virus and, and turn it around. Our goal is to go back to green uh, as soon as possible. And, you know, eventually this will be behind us. And then we've said, well, we, we weathered that hurricane. But right now um, we're going to stay vigilant and work hard and and uh, do what we think is best for our community. And, and I really have to hand it out to our, our crew at the EOC for coming in day to day, they all have a regular job. They're doing their regular job and this job. Um, and it's uh, it's a lot of work. And so how are we handling that? Um, I think we're just supportive of each other. And, um, you know, we work hard, but we have some fun doing it at some time too. So um, 
I don't know if if, if you, anyone else wants to answer that question. I don't know if, how I answered it, but uh, <laughs> went around the horn pretty far. <laughs> Have you had any um, uh, uh, you know inklings from the uh, from the state about uh, the possible vaccine and vaccine distribution to uh, to our community? Uh, is there a, a timeline? dose number um and any information so far oh yeah we we have a weekly uh, medical meeting um our our fire chief uh, in, uh sits in on those um we've got the virus coming this month vaccine, vaccine, or, vaccine. sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> vaccines coming this month and it's going to be distributed to a select few at, at first um but they they're working on a distribution plan how that will lay out and uh, we'll be announcing that as soon as we have more uh, def definitive information. Thank you. <laughs> good Thanks. news. That is good news. Mike, you know, there's a storm, according to the medical professionals and the federal level, there's a storm coming and things are going to be really bad for three months. And I know each individual community has the capacity to change the storm on a local level, but um, wh where do you see us at in the next couple of months? I mean, are we going to be in red indefinitely here? Uh, is there a way that we can, as a community, turn it around and get it back to yellow? Yeah, there is a way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic, and sometimes I, I make it sound like it's, um, like we can get through this easier than it appears to be, but uh, we all need to we all need to pitch in. I mean, you know, I don't know why we're having a protest today. I mean, what are you protesting? The virus? I mean, the virus is out there. People need to people need to stay apart. I mean, what's going to happen with this gathering today? Are we going to get three positives out of that one today? Um, why would you risk that? So people need to, I, my advice, and it's not just me, it's the medical community. We need to limit our interactions with people outside our immediate social bubble, period. Well, that's, yeah. that's a good place to end as any, yeah. I think. Um, let's hope that your update next Thursday is a lot more promising. What are the what are the trends? I mean, it seems like we got we got used to having like one number, you know, or uh, no cases or one or two, and now it seems like it, it, it every day is in the thirties almost. Um, so you're you're telling me that there, we're going to get a better number today, um, but we haven't seen the Thanksgiving surge yet. No, we're not through that. Um, we expect. 14 days or so before we know the impact of Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, what is a what is a huge number? I mean, in your, your estimation of you know where we're I never at, thought we I never thought we'd see 36 in a day. I never thought we'd see 161 in a month. Um, I don't know what December is going to bring at these at these rates. I mean, uh, today we have a lower number to announce, but uh, we have to continue to work on that. Uh, we can't sustain this virus within our community or we're going to have more deaths. 
Um, and that's, that's just the fact of this virus. Um, it, yeah. I don't know how much more I could say, Mike and, and Jared. I mean, um, we've been preaching, Bianca, how many lowdown, how many uh, <laughs> updates have we given this summer? Yesterday was uh, live update number 37. 37 uh, updates. And uh, the message varies. We try to give uh, people the most up-to-date information. Um, maybe I do sound like I'm lecturing, and, and I think that comes across to some people. Um, but it, it's tough love, Mike. Uh, it's tough love. <laughs> well, it might be tough love, but, uh, you know, we're working hard at the emergency operations center and we want to see it turn around. And when we see it go the other way, it's, it's just hard for us to accept that, um, people are still social gathering and, and still flying to Anchorage for a weekend just to go shopping or go socialize, uh, outside of our community because they just need to get away. It's, it's just hard for us to understand why people are taking those risky uh, behaviors at this time in a pandemic. It, look at Anchorage. Anchorage has got half the cases of the state every day, it seems like. I don't, I don't know what last night's number was, but we were seeing seven over 700 cases a day. Um, that's, that's incredible. Well, there's still some people that don't believe it's real, and there's still some people that don't believe it's that serious. Um, and it, it, it's just mind-boggling. It is. Earlier in the summer, I think earlier in the summer, it wasn't as, as, uh, as hard on the human body as it is today. I think there's something different going on. People are, people are becoming sick. Um, we, we were getting reports of PIO could help me out here, but we were getting reports of, yeah, I felt kind of off for about two or three days and now I'm over it. And, and I had a bad headache and I, I didn't have any energy, but now there's people saying, uh, you know, I'm over it after three weeks, maybe, but I still don't have any energy. I'm still having a hard time breathing. There's other people that are really going downhill fast. And, you know, one of these days we're going to have someone uh, at the uh, community update that's experienced the virus and give a personal story about that. I've been wanting to do that for a long time now and i just need to find somebody that'll step up and, and and do their little um report on how the virus affected them because um that's that's a real story that's a that's someone who experienced it and and uh it's it's hard to understand the virus if you haven't been close enough to understand the virus <laughs> yeah well i i think the medical communities been pretty clear about you know this this isn't a it, this isn't something that's only affecting the 60 year olds in the community the 20 and 30 year olds that are getting it and seeing long-term long-term problems as a result of it or still experiencing problems after two months of trying to recover from it are, are pretty horrific so with, with that go ahead We've seen all ages here. Um, we, we, some of the cases we've had have been infants. Um, and last week we had several youth and a few teenagers and it goes all the way up to the, the senior population. So it affects every, it can, it can affect anyone. Right. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your uh, efforts in this regard and I wish you the very best 
in weeks to come and trying to communicate your message out to the community and hopefully it'll be effective and uh, we'll, we'll be able to turn it around. That's our goal. All right. You have a pleasant weekend, you all. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. All right. Have a good day. Thank you.